0: Escape velocity.
1: What are you doing? Chris! 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 Chris, what are you doing? Stop that! Stop it! Chris! What? Why are you doing that? I don't like it. You don't like that? No, what's, what's the purpose? I'm practicing. I gotta practice. We got a tour coming up. Oh, where are you touring? We're going to Europe. Europe? That's pretty exciting. Wow. When does that happen? I don't know. Tell me all about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to know. I'm not going. We're going in April. When does it start? Is it start on my I birthday? I don't know. April 13th in Berlin, maybe? Ooh, Berlin. Yeah. Been there? I've never been to Berlin. There's no reason to go, as far as I can tell. The only European city I've ever been in is Cannes, France. Cannes? Yeah. I hear there was a wrath. Uh, anyways, I'm practicing for that tour Okay People, if they want to check out the tour dates And where we're going Can go to www.propagandy.com mm-hmm. Hey, you want to hear another solo? No, not right now Oh, do you want to hear this? Hey Hey, what's this? I like the sound of this. You mean this track I'm playing? Yeah, it's better than your terrible solos. Wankery, masturbatory solos. Well, Derek, this is, of course, a track from the album Duets for Abdul Razak. Hmm. Did you know that it features Stefan Christoph on piano and Sam Shalabi on the Ood? Do you even know what an Ood is? An Ood is an alien character on the show Doctor Who. Yes, it is, and he's playing one here. No, it's one of those pear-shaped guitars. Sounds exotic. It does. Listen to it. Ah. But truly, a beautiful track. Yes, it is. It's part of an ongoing series of projects from the Montreal-based Howell Arts Collective, Derek. Hmm. Do you want to know what that is? It's a collective of cultural workers, artists, and activists working for social justice via artistic expression. So it's called Duets for Abdul Razak. Who is this... Abdul Razak. This is a person. Abusvan Abdul Razak, Derek, is a Sudanese Canadian currently living in Montreal who was jailed on the recommendation of CSIS. That's, that's the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, our equivalent of the CIA. Essentially, yes. Right. He was jailed and tortured in Sudan with the direct complicity of the Canadian government and was later cleared of all charges. Shocking. And eventually got back to Canada in 2009 after a Long grassroots campaign for his uh, for his repatriation and now the struggle Derek is to make sure this never happens to anybody else again so if anybody's interested in, in how a travesty of justice can happen like this in a allegedly free country like Canada check out the Howell Arts Collective in the show notes and read about Abdul Razik's journey it is a harrowing tale And check out the rest of this record, Duets for Apple Rising, also in the show notes. Great record. Let's listen. Previously on the show, Chris, we touched a little bit on oil spills and the Canadian energy company Enbridge. Oh, I hate Enbridge. Me too. Well, we received an email from a listener about an action that took place last month against a different Canadian energy company called TransCanada. Oh, I love that one. My favorite energy company. They're in the process of building the Keystone XL pipeline extension. Have you heard of this? I have. Very controversial. So this extension, most of our listeners will probably have heard of this. Uh, It's very controversial because it proposes extending the pipeline, which takes crude and bitumen from the Alberta oil sands here in Canada, or tar sands, as we most often refer to them as, and piping it down into the U.S. through multiple locations for refining and distribution. And it eventually ends up at the Gulf Coast, if this extension is completed. I see. So we're talking about thousands of kilometers of pipe here, and it's facing stiff opposition for two reasons one is the risk of leaks along the happen. route that could happen no it never happens never happens Trickles. but if this were to happen miraculously it could threaten water supplies air quality uh, agriculture as well as wilderness areas which surround the pipelines of route but there's also opposition just for the very fact that this is transporting some of the dirtiest crude on the planet the process of extracting the oil from the tar sands is so energy intensive uh, leads to so many environmental issues that people just think we should not be even extracting these resources in the first place. But what about limited edition colored vinyl? Well, that is very important. We need we need the tar sands for our limited edition colored vinyl. Huh? Well, you make a fair point. You make a fair point. Yet we uh, might need water just to cool just to cool the vinyl after it comes out of the press, right? So, one of our listeners named Matthew El Monte. He is an Escape Velocity radio listener. No. And he traveled from Florida to Texas to take part in a blockade action of the Keystone XL Pipeline Extension. Oh, yeah? This happened in Winona, Texas on December 3rd, and he was with two others, Isabel Brooks and Glenn Collins. And they blockaded themselves inside a section of unlaid pipe as part of the Tar Sands blockade movement. Inside a pipe? Inside a piece of the pipe before it was laid into the ground. Let's take a listen to the clip.
0: My name is Matthew Almonte. I'm here from Tampa, Florida, and I'm here in Texas blockading the Keystone XL pipeline. So, it's the first night being here in this pipe, and uh, basically we've set up shop here. Um, I feel it's very important for people to feel empowered to take action against resource extraction. Uh, The Keystone XL pipeline, it doesn't really serve to benefit anybody but the corporations who will reap all the profit at the expense of the communities that will be poisoned through their water, through their air, um, and it's just not right. And I wanted to plant myself in the middle of that fight against resource extraction um, because I feel it—it's all really tied together, whether it's here uh, in Texas against tar sands or. Uh, in West Virginia against coal extraction, or in Pennsylvania against fracking, it's 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 about coming together and 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 making a stand against those who are trying to exert their influence, their power, their their corporate criminality over the rest of us. And I feel like this campaign uh, is filled with um, people from all walks of life, whether they're students or they're workers, their parents, their you know everybody that I've met here is dedicated to fighting this struggle, because it is one of the most important struggles that we face today. And that's why I'm here, uh, dedicated to staying in this pipe as long as it takes to, uh, to make the point that Keystone XL Pipeline has no place on this planet.
1: So what was the result of this action? They were arrested, and the work on the pipeline resumed that afternoon. But, but, Don't get discouraged, Chris. This is just a small action that is part of a much larger movement, obviously. And I think it's fair to say this is a movement which we unequivocally support. Unequivocally? Unequivocally. What does that mean? I don't know. Why don't we just support it? (laughs) I support this movement. Just in case that means we don't support it. But no, Chris, I think the fact that we're building giant oil pipelines. You and me. You and me. In our spare time, when we're not doing the podcast, to transport and refine the dirtiest petroleum on the planet in an era where there is widespread scientific consensus that emissions from these products are radically altering our climate is fucking absurd. I agree with that statement you just made. Meanwhile, the industry shills, as you might expect, are dragging out the same old tired mantras about jobs, like this delightful little statement from Trans Canada which they released in the wake of this particular action.
2: These types of actions are putting many people's health and safety at risk. And we hope that people will reconsider what they are doing before someone is hurt. It is unfortunate these protesters are trying to keep thousands of Americans from the jobs they depend on to provide for their families. Resistance is futile Resistance is futile:
1: Where did you find that sound clip?: uh, That was from the nightly News. Oh. So obviously, this statement is total bullshit. Why? And it's rich to have Trans-Canada talking about the health and safety of anyone when this very pipeline that they' are building will threaten the health and safety in the long run, of these very workers who they are so concerned about. I hadn't thought of it that way. Now I do. So, educate yourselves, people. Don't build a pipeline if you're thinking about it. Build something else instead. Build a community. Build a rocket ship. Derek, do you like comic books? I don't. I've never really read them. I no. had a couple when I was little, but I just liked the ads in the, in the back. Yeah, me too. X-ray specs. Make your muscles yeah, bigger. Yeah, one of those X-ray specs, man. I never... There were I, some girl. What's that? I never got into comic books for some reason. I tried. All my friends were, but I just... It didn't appeal to me. I never did either, but you know what I do like? What do you like? I think I like graphic novels. Yeah, I've read a couple, of, those couple are, of interesting ones. Those are comic books, right? They basically are comic books. Joe so, Sacco makes some good ones. and The guy who wrote uh, the Louis Riel book? Uh, Chester Brown. Yeah. Ooh, Louis Riel by Chester Brown. Great graphic novel. So we do like comic Maybe books. Maybe we do. Oh my I God. we do. My entire perspective is changing right now. Hey, have you heard about this one comic book called Liberator? You know, I have because you alerted me to it. Oh. I backed it. You did? I did. You backed it on what? I backed it on Kickstarter. Because it doesn't exist yet, right? It doesn't exist yet. So they're trying to get a four-issue full-color miniseries of this story about animal liberation activists in graphic novel form. Is that right? The, I think that is correct. It looks great. The art looks great. And so they're kickstarting it to raise money to actually pay for all the costs for yeah. all the art. Because it looks like they actually have some legit names from the comic book world. I don't know much about them, but... Me neither. They do a good sales pitch here, eh? They do. What are, what are some of those people who are involved in this comic book? Matt Miner appears to be perhaps the writer. Joel Gomez is the inker and penciler. Beth Sotelo is one of the top color artists working today, they claim. Vito Del Sante manages one of New York's premier comic shops. I don't know what... Oh, he's a letterer and editor. And then Yasmin Liang is another rising talent in the comic world. These are all people involved in the production of this comic book. Well... To back up a second, for listeners who aren't familiar with Kickstarter, this is a website where anybody can create a project which they want to have funded. A lot of them are film projects, music projects, art projects. And so you can post this project and solicit funds. uh, And you set a goal and people donate, but their donation is only actually charged if the project reaches its stated financial goal. And I pledged $40. And that gets me all four issues of the comic book as it's completed and released. And they want to have this funded by January 31st. So you didn't add 20 bucks to that to get the propaganda package where you actually get a propaganda shirt and a record? Why on earth would I want a propaganda shirt? That is fucking embarrassing. You know, there was only one incentive pack for the propaganda shirt and it was taken. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So if this sounds interesting to you, if you like comics or graphic novels, maybe you're interested in reading one that could be, by the sounds of it, very intelligently written, very well illustrated, about animal liberationists rescuing animals. And grappling with the ethical... Implications. Implications of direct action, direct extra-legal action. Something I think lots of people who are interested in animal liberation think about. Yep. Check out uh, this Liberator comic Kickstarter project. We'll have a link in the show notes. Maybe you want to fund it or maybe you just want to watch the video which features a kind of bad song by conflict in it. Liberator! Derek, speaking of the internet and projects on the internet, let me ask you something. I don't like the internet. I I don't know anything about it. Are you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook. You're a fucking sellout fucking prick. You're the one who got me on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. but you used to be. But I'm not. Yeah, but you used to be. I'm not. No, you know why I got off Facebook? Why? Well, first of all, Because I became increasingly disappointed in people I thought I otherwise liked. Right, like me. You, particularly. Yeah. But also, I think I also have a limit to the amount of corporate-owned social media I can participate in. Fair enough. So you know what Znet is? I I am familiar with Znet. Did you know that they started their own social networking project? I heard something about this, but I didn't look very far into it. Why didn't you? You thought it was dumb, didn't you? You You thought it was pointless. Um, I quest- You thought nobody would use it when there's already Facebook and Twitter. Not to mention other alternatives to Facebook and Twitter as well. So you essentially think this project by the people at Znet is a fool's I did, errand. <laughs> I did not say that, But no. you do think that. That's what you're saying. You're saying it's a waste of time. Um, a waste of their resources. I would say that a social network that looks to take on the likes of Facebook is only as good as the critical mass of users it can obtain. And we've already seen projects like Diaspora, which had a lot of support and backing, Flounder, simply because there is not that critical mass. If the purpose of social media, when you're going to use it to spread ideas, to try to organize people, it requires all the people that you might want to reach to be on there. And it's a it's a little bit of a catch-22 when you have the behemoth in the room being Facebook, that has all those users, it's very difficult to migrate them away to another service, which you know will be inferior because they don't have the resources, they don't have the designers, they don't have people who have experience with interaction design and as much experience with the programming. It's very, very difficult to tackle that. So it may well be a poor use of resources to go down that road. Well, you're an asshole. <laughs> Check this out. I want, to re- I want to read you something that Znet wrote <clears throat> because obviously you haven't read it. And I quote, it's called ZSocial, by the way, What their, their social networking thing. ZSocial provides the usual features of social networking. ZSocial does not sell you or your friends to corporations as targets for ads or other commercial pursuits. It does not make your private lives and information fodder for profit. It does not surveil you, including turning over information about you to states and security agencies. It gives you simple control over what you make available to whom. And finally, ZSocial does not bias against substantive content by length or substance, but welcomes it, of course. It continues to make sense to use mainstream social networking as a way to find old friends or socialize with apolitical friends or family, or as a way to publicize left ideas and efforts to potentially large audiences. But... We hope you will agree that it no longer makes sense to compromise your privacy and commercialize your politics as a condition of relating to one another within the broad left, because ZSocial will aid you in doing the latter without the debits and with added benefits. So they're acknowledging that Facebook isn't going anywhere. They're not taking it on. They're saying, if you're part of the broad left, which you are, why not use this? Why not go here and support it? You're saying there's going to be no critical mass. So you're not going there, but there'll be no critical mass if people like you and me don't go there. This is correct. Are you asking me to start a Z social profile? Well, why not? This is, yes, clearly this is something that is worth exploring. Anyways, if people are interested in not fucking suckling the teat of corporate media any longer for their social media needs... Oh, sorry. What was that, Chris? Why not check out ZSocial At mm. zsocial.org. Mm. Oh, so good.
2: Mm.
0: You sick of me. Rebel, Rebel,
2: on the street. Make up on the face. Stop on my face. All the streets asking me why. I don't have a normal American guy. What is this a straight and me so thin? What is this a straight and me so thin? What is this a straight and me so thin? What is this a straight and me so thin?
1: So Chris, last episode we had a conversation with Shauna Potter from the band War on Women. Do you remember that? I almost remember it, but you'll have to refresh my memory. Well, at one point, she was talking about the Transgendered Day of Remembrance, which is an international event that takes place on November 20th. Each year. That rings a bell. And she also talked about wanting to raise the stakes in the struggle against transphobia. Transphobia, define it for me. So, transphobia, Chris, takes many forms. At its most basic, it takes the form of people denying that trans people's gender identities are even real, claiming that they're just perverts or mentally ill. Hey, they call me a pervert. Of course, denying the identities and experience of others, as you know, is a time honored tradition. The world over. So, this is no surprise. However, this also leads to a whole host of other issues for trans people. One would be being denied access to, say, washrooms and other facilities that match their gender, which especially impacts the homeless and other vulnerable groups within the trans community. Hmm. But more troubling is the experience that many trans people have when they enter the healthcare system being denied treatment or even being given inappropriate treatment. Right. Not to mention, Rampant discrimination when it comes to trans people seeking employment or being, quote-unquote, found out as transgendered while employed and then fired surreptitiously from their jobs. I like syrup. There's even transphobia to be found in the feminist and gay and lesbian movements and communities where some label transgendered people as mere imposters, not welcome at, for example, woman-only events. Hmm. In fact, the term she-male, did you know, used as a derogatory term against trans women, was widely popularized by the feminist activist and author Janice Raymond in the 70s. Janice Raymond, that household name. (laughs) Who the fuck is that? And did you know, Chris, that in many countries, including Canada... I live there! ...in order to legally change your name and gender for the purposes of official identifying documents, such as your passport... Yes. ...you must have undergone gender reassignment surgery, which is, in effect forced sterilization on trans people. Wow. That's fucking crazy. And of course, much as with homophobia, trans people all too often are the targets of beatings, sometimes fatal, at the hands of ignorant, scared, hate-filled shitbags who want to kill anything they don't understand. Right. Well, Derek, this is all very interesting, but isn't it just sort of academic for most of us? I mean... It's not like many of us actually know or interact with any transgendered people. And we certainly don't listen to their music or buy their records.
2: Or do we?
1: How familiar are you with the band Against Me?
2: If she wants to dance and drink all night with no one, you can stop up!
1: Pretty familiar, it sounds like. Well, Derek, up until recently, listeners familiar with Against Me would have known them mostly from their singer, Tom Gable. Correct. But in a June 2012 interview, an explosive interview... With Rolling Stone, yes, that Rolling Stone, Tom Gable came out as transgendered, telling the magazine he would now be living as a woman and going by the name of Laura Jane Grace. That's right, Chris. I saw that on Punk News. I love Punk News. They're such good writers. So, Chris, because you are a famous person... You were able to get us a few minutes with Laura to discuss her struggle with gender dysphoria, her transition, and what's next for Against Me. I am a famous person. Yay! Laura Jane Grace, welcome to Escape Velocity Radio.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Glad to be here.
1: Laura, you started against me in 1997, playing basements and house shows to handfuls of stinky DIY punks. In a relatively short span of time, you found yourself touring the world to sold-out audiences, performing on national TV, earning the acclaim of critics and fans alike, and putting out Billboard charting albums on the legendary Sire Records. Yet through all this success, you were secretly struggling with your own identity. In 45,000 words or less, can you tell us about that?
2: Fuck! <laughs> I have no idea. Where do you start? You know. <laughs> well,
1: can, can you tell us some of the some of the nuts and bolts of what? I mean, people have probably they're familiar with the Rolling Stone article, but can can you tell us? I guess first of all, what is gender dysphoria?
2: You know, I think that anyone you ask that who, who deals with it would probably have a different definition of the way it affects them or whatever. But for me, it kind of really manifests just as an extreme detachment from my body and also almost a schizophrenia in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least when, when dealing with it in a compartmentalized way, which is very much so how I used to have to live my life, you know? Um, but you know, it's, it's, feeling like that uh the gender that you were assigned when you were born does not align with the gender that you feel inside your head or in, you know at who you are as a person so it's something that you know for me has has kind of come and gone in waves over my life um and when i was like 24 25 years old um i went through kind of like you know a purge moment where i Kind of, you know, swore off all transsexual behavior or whatever, and threw away all all my women's clothes or whatever, and and really committed to to going on tour and doing band stuff, and and really a lot of it was just about that, you know, it was about like, okay, we have this opportunity to really go and tour and and you know really work and do a lot of stuff, so I really need to just eliminate as much excess from my life as possible, you know, and I just put all my stuff in storage. I didn't even live anywhere. I just lived in a hotel, but so then on the other side of you know six or seven years after you go through major label blender and, and tour the world a bunch of times. Like I kind of came out on it on the other end, feeling like I went through a garbage disposal and just, Really had lost touch with who I was, and really just you know needed a lot of truth right? and it was really found myself searching for truth and and confronting issues that I had dealt with you know again all through my life with gender dysphoria and so I made the decision to kind of do something about that and to and to just move forward with with change and you know, which was something that I had been thinking about in a lot for a while 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 dealing with it all on tour and and doing everything so um I don't know, you know, uh, how's that? How many words is that?
1: That's, you're, you're at 2,600. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so can you actually, if you think back, like even to early childhood, do you recall this feeling like you're literally a person that's in, you've been given the wrong body essentially, you know, what, what's the earliest you can actually remember having this feeling that things just weren't right?
2: I remember it as early as like four or five years old, but when you're four or five years old, you don't know the words for what you're feeling. It's not like I was four years old and it was like, I'm a transsexual, you know, right. it was I'm four years old, and I have a fascination with my mother's pantyhose, you know. And and I see Madonna like I my my first re- realization of like self realization of 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 gender, I think was was actually watching a Madonna live performance performance on TV, and and just like being enraptured with her, and and thinking that that was me, you know, wondering if my hair could look like that and my body could look like that when I was older. And then I felt that same feeling when I first saw Rosemary's Baby when I was probably like five or six years old with Mia Farrow, especially because she had the, the kind of pixie boy haircut in that movie, you know? Um, but again, when you're younger, you don't know what those feelings are and don't have words for it. And uh, as as you get older, most of the time, the people that are exposed to you as examples of transsexuals or whatever are negative ones, you know, like seeing Silence of the Lambs or Ace Ventura, stuff like that. Um, So, you know, and, and then also when you're older too, you don't necessarily know the difference between like, you know, a transvestite or a transsexual. Um, usually when, when you're a teenager, of course, like all these feelings manifest themselves as, as feelings of shame and guilt. And you feel like you have some kind of weird perversion or something like that, you know? Um, so it it was, it was heavy and a lot to deal with. And when, when I was younger too, of course, like there just wasn't a lot of resources and places to look for, for information. And, um, I'm 32 years old. I was born in 1980. Uh, so when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, just coming into puberty and everything like that, it's not like I could do a Google search for the way I felt. Um, uh, there was like a few and far between a couple of examples of like, uh, of of, of transsexuals that i saw and, and, you know, uh, people who had transitioned and stuff like that, but they were really, really few and far between.
1: You said when the band was sort of taking off and had all all the opportunities, it, it it sort of interfered with, with you finding this truth. Um, was it, was it because you felt there would be a, a social cost for the band to pay? Uh, if, if you kind of followed through with these feelings or, or what were you feeling?
2: Well, it was mainly, it was mainly again like cut all excess from your life. You know, it's like, okay, we're about to go on tour and and really, you know, like I need to eliminate everything my, from my life that doesn't just have to do with music. That's okay. the only thing that I want to deal with. You know, I don't want to have to pay an electric bill. I don't want to have to do anything. And I got, you know, I, I, I was married when I was 19 years old and divorced. Then by the time I was like 22, 23. So I had already been through a marriage and like went through, you know, weird periods of time when I was younger. And and so it was really about just eliminating everything from, from my life that I could. Um, and again not at, at the time too you know i never thought like the idea of transition still wasn't just it just wasn't a realistic possibility for me you know you take a real leap of faith when you decide to go through ch- with transition and you have to kind of overcome a lot of your insecurities and just say fuck it and go for it but i just i wasn't there then. and 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 I i think that each each person who decides to transition does so on their own timeline and really you know it's not like a I, I don't feel like I, I, you know, did it too late or something like that. You know, I just, I felt that this was the amount of time it took for me to get here. So that's fine.
1: So you mentioned being uh, married in the past, but you are married now, correct?
2: I am. And uh-huh. and, and, and you I have, have
1: uh, a, a young daughter.
2: I do. She's three. Yeah.
1: You know, I'm sure people are wondering how, you know, it, does this have an effect on your family life or is this, you know, how how has the dynamic been uh, affected there?
2: I. Uh, for the most part, it hasn't, you know, um, coming out and opening up to my wife was, was, was surprisingly easy. You know, she was like really understanding and really accepting and it's not something that really phased us. And, you know, for my daughter, I think maybe there was a second of confusion. Like I, you know, I remember I was, I was tucking her into bed one night and and she said she didn't she wanted me to be a boy again she said she wanted me to be not not be a girl anymore and my you know and I and I just told her like I was like I'll I'll always be your daddy you know no matter what I'm I'm always your daddy and I always love you and ever since we had that talk it's it's been okay you know and she refers to me with feminine pronouns she says she and she says her but then she still calls me daddy and as long as she wants to call me daddy she can call me daddy you know um and it's not something that's, that seems to be anything when it comes to the three of us. It's something I worry about as she gets older and for going to school around here. It's something that both me and my wife worry about. It's just like the way other kids are going to treat her. And in St. Augustine, where we are, it's it's a pretty small town, you know, and i um I I definitely you know like worry would worry about her going to school here. So we think we're gonna probably move before before that happens. She's only three, so we got a little bit of time. But I feel like that that'll probably be a little bit of an issue anywhere, and and it's just something that you got to deal with. It's not the end of the world, but I just hope that people are kind to her. You know?
1: Would you be moving out of the south in general, or I mean, or are you just moving to a larger city where this might not be as big of an issue for people?
2: Well, I. I think our motivation to move it has a lot to do with just other things too oh, you know I'm, I'm not necessarily having to do a transition or anything like that just um, my my wife's from like big, used to living in bigger cities and doesn't really like small town living, which I get. You know, I'm just like I'm always on tour and I, I like it because I come back here and there's nothing happening. If it, my studio actually is, if you remember from when you were down here playing the Harvest Hope uh, Harvest of Hope Festival, mm-hmm. it's like right across the street from that. So I'm just in the middle of nowhere. And, oh really? And I kind of like, yeah, I I kind of like that. I, I I don't really like being around people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the uh, the response in your in your community then has been I mean you haven't had a negative response in, in your local community where you live.
2: And now I, I you know, in fact, when the when the article was published, like in Rolling Stone, um, I, I received a lot of letters from neighbors and people offering support and being being cool. And I, I've never had a problem, you know, I, I, and I don't mean to be judgmental. Of people think in saying that I you know predict a problem or anything like that. Okay. But
1: well, that's awesome. Yeah, And uh, you've received a similar sort of response from the uh, larger musical community, and it seems like it's been positive and supportive, and you think, is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it just speaks a lot to, you know, where, uh, where mainstream culture is in a lot of ways, you know, and in, in that people can can be accepting of that.
1: So, Laura, you spent the first 30 years or so of, of your life, you know, walking the earth, Uh, externally as a man, and now you've spent six months or so uh, doing the same as a woman. Is uh, Is there any revelations there, or can you describe that experience, you know, in how it's different, you know, your perspective would change or...
2: You know, it's it's not really like there was a, a switch one day or something like that. It, I, I still feel like I'm just very much me, just walking the earth as I, as I always have. You know, it's now more about other people's perspective changing and, and not feeling about as self-conscious about things and then taking active steps to change my physical appearance to how I would like it to line up with, you know, how it feels inside. Um, so it's not like, you know one day I wake up and put on a pair of pumps and I'm a different person. It's just like, you know, it's it's dealing with something that you've been just not dealing with, I guess. So, so having that, you know, done is definitely a relief and and you kind of are able to live your life a little lighter. And, and I think I mentioned earlier, not having to compartmentalize it because I very much, you know, in the past when, when it was something that was closeted for me, you know, I, 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 I had to escape in order to, to deal with that. Like I had to go on tour and be in a hotel room or something like that. And I had to have this separate life from my family or from my friends or whatever. And I, not having to do that, just, it saves you a lot of fucking time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I guess I was thinking more specifically about externally, like how people treat you. Like obviously men and women tend to get treated very differently in society and uh as you start to transition and ex- and externally to other people become more of a woman you know i'm wondering how uh people's interactions with you uh would
2: change you, you know it's definitely just something i'm still curious about at this point too i don't necessarily think that most people uh, read me as female you know when i when i go out i think they they read me as either either a trans or like as just some kind of like rocker dude or something like that um which is which is something that's you know advantageous sometimes and something that's obnoxious sometimes too you know um I definitely would like to be read as a woman you know but at the same time I don't mind being read as trans and I have nothing wrong with that uh but you know being able to pass as like a rocker dude when you have to use the men's restroom at an airport is is okay right right
1: (laughs) laura i have a question here that comes from shauna potter of the baltimore band war on women she wants to know if being on the road and in the studio so much allows you any time to connect with the, the local trans community and i'll add a question to that are you actually able to connect with trans communities in in other cities when you're on tour
2: i've had more so time for that i've had more more time to meet with um with More people from the trans community on tour just because they come out to shows and people will wait around until after the show to say hey after. And um, there's in St. Augustine. I I don't know anyone in in Gainesville which is where I used to live and where the rest of the band is which is like an hour and a half away from here I know that there's a group of trans people who meet at a bookstore there on the first Wednesday of every month but I've yet to be home on one of those Wednesdays I'd like to make a trip out there but I really you know I have a lot of like Facebook pen pals and and just email pen pals from you know other trans girls across the world and I've it's been amazing, like, the amount of support that I've received from that community. You you immediately kind of have this, like, you know, cosmic bond with people.
1: <laughs> to to get back to uh, the band a little bit, you're currently working on your 6LP, which is entitled Transgender Dysphoria Blues, is that correct? Yes, it is. And can you tell us a uh, little bit about that?
2: Um, well, hopefully we'll be finished before we leave on tour for Australia in January. But we've been working on it for, you know, kind of the past year, and... I really I wanted to take a real different approach to this record compared to the last records and and really like, you know, for me, like going through transition and knowing that, okay, I'm going to I'm going to transition, but I'm still going to be a musician and I still want to play in my band and I still want to make a record. But how do you do that? Um, Especially, you know, given our situation of, okay we've just come out of like, you know, being on a major label for five, six years what do we do label-wise? What, what What's the next move? What do, you, what do we do? Um, and I felt like, you know, for recording and for the writing of it, I just really needed a lot of privacy, and I really didn't want to deal with, you know, strangers, like some studio engineer or some runner at a studio or anything. So I took the approach of building my own studio. So it's been a really, like, just a ground-up, slow-moving approach. I'm sure that you guys had a lot of experience with similar stuff, and... I remember when you were starting G7 and, and just, you know, you have to set up a label. You have to set up everything around what you're doing. And and then you realize after you decided to do this, like, oh, shit, I've bit off way more than I can chew. And so yeah. it ends up being a, a really slow-moving process. <laughs> uh,
1: especially with a studio, I'd say. I, I also tried a bit of that, and uh, it just snowballs into a never-ending money pit. Have you found that? Oh,
2: yeah. No, totally. Well, it's like you know I've had a lot of problem with like gear breaks so you have to send off gear and wait a month for it to return and then you know I like I found a pretty cool space it's just like a standalone brick building in the middle of nowhere and noise isn't an issue if anything's getting out neighbors and there's nothing really going on for noise getting in and, and I'm comfortable here, but I realized after I built it, it's like, it doesn't really sound good in here. Yeah. Like, you, know, you can't, you can't hear well in this control room. I have fucking blankets hanging on the walls, you know, to try and do deflection. But it, it so it, you're working with that disadvantage of, it, of not really being able to hear and everything's a constant work in progress. And, um, you know, it's fun at the same time, you know, and I really do like having full on control and I wanted to do this setup because I wanted to be able to take my time, you know, and not have to worry about like, okay, um, you know, we're going to go on tour. We have to get everything out of the studio or we're burning money by being here and not being productive. So there's advantages, but at the same time it is a lot of work.
1: Yeah. Let me, let me ask you some nerdy questions while we're on this topic that we can edit out if they're too esoteric for the listeners. What, what do you, what do you got for a console in there?
2: um i have a tac scorpion for a console but i've yet to really do anything with it i had it totally recapped and rewired um and like the meter bridge was out and i had that fixed but it, so what i've tried to do with it it doesn't really sound good and i don't know it's just clunky and it's in the way most of the time i just set a computer on it
1: <laughs> yeah. so you're using uh, outboard preamps
2: yeah i've got like you know um like maybe 20 channels of preamps and a a handful of compressors and then just a Pro Tools rig. So I've just been recording everything in the box. And the, the idea behind it was, you know, you do it this way and then you save the money by being able to take your time and then you can send it off to a a studio that has a nice console and you can have it mixed through the nice console. So it'll still get the sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've, I've made that mistake. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Uh, I'm not
2: saying I'm not I have no illusions that I'm making the right
1: choices. <laughs> no you know you know what if you're doing it yourself the whole way even if you've sacrificed an inch here or there at the end you get to say you did the whole thing total trouble recording studios is your studio and uh, you also have a record label of the same name that you've you've decided to put the record out by yourself too right
2: yeah, basically, we, we signed a distribution deal, as opposed to going with another label, we just went direct to the distributor and, and started a label you know, around that. So the distributor basically offers some of the facets that like a record label would have, and has some of the resources there for you, but at the same time gives you the ability to, to, to surround yourself with you know, your own people and, and kind of build your own label, too.
1: And when are you guys hoping to have the record out?
2: We're hoping to have it finished in mid January, so it'd probably be out April or May or something like that with
1: world tours to follow
2: <laughs> well we're we're doing big day out, as I said, and then i we're we're planning some touring in like April and beyond but but you know one thing at a time, but yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah Laura inevitably there will be people who simply can't wrap their heads around your transitioning what What would be your message to them?
2: Fuck off. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, What can you do? If someone doesn't get it, they don't get it. Yeah.
1: And what would your message be to people out there, perhaps listening right now, who are experiencing gender dysphoria?
2: I would say really that talking to someone helps, you know, I I went to a psychotherapist starting in January um, for like the first six months of this year. And it was a decision that I was really nervous about just because I didn't like the idea of going to someone who I didn't know and telling them, you know, my deepest, darkest personal secrets. And during the process at points, I kind of felt a little like, you know, Take it advantage of by the system. Like I didn't like the systems of standards that they hold you to in trying to get your letter to start HRT, to start hormones. But at the same time, like going to someone and just talking about it and taking a step like that was a really positive thing. And, and, you know, I think that, in trying to figure out what you're dealing with with gender dysphoria, if transitioning is right for you, or if that's the step you want to take, that by doing that and just taking a step is 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 helpful in that in the right direction.
1: And are there any online resources that you might uh, suggest to people uh, to read up about gender dysphoria and uh, about you know transgendered people and you know just educational resources for listeners and also for people who you know feel like they are experiencing this?
2: Um, there's a ton of stuff out there. Yes, totally. I have a friend Jen from Chicago who does a site called We Happy Trans that, um, is, is a great resource and, and is a great spot for connecting with other trans people. You know, I found a lot of people on YouTube and there, there's a ton, tons of people on YouTube that like document their transition and do transition video timelines and stuff like that. Um, and and a lot of the people on there, I found to be really inspiring, and really have just like a lot of the nuts and bolts information for you know everything from like the process of a legal name change to uh, you know makeup tips and shit. So right, right. There, there's there's tons of stuff out there.
1: And finally, Laura, is it true you covet Julianne Moore's hair?
2: I do. She has beautiful hair.
1: <laughs> why not? Why not Condlee's Race? <laughs>
2: She doesn't have nice hair. Come on. I'm looking at my copy of Magnolia right here in that movie. Oh my God, her hair is fantastic.
1: Laura Jane Grace, thank you for being with us on Escape Velocity Radio.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Eric, that brings us to the end of another episode of Escape Velocity Radio. It almost does, Chris, but before we go, I just want to draw our listeners' attention to the Idle No More movement. What is the Idle No More movement, you ask? Idle No More calls on all people to join in a revolution which honors and fulfills Indigenous sovereignty which protects the land and water. Colonization continues through attacks to Indigenous rights and damage to the land and water. We must repair these violations, live the spirit of the treaty relationship, work towards justice and action, and protect Mother Earth. So Google that shit. Idle No More. Exciting times. Otherwise, we want your feedback. Email us at feedback at escapevelocityradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 701-213-4483. If you find yourself as a person who is on Facebook, you can visit us. Facebook.com slash Escape Velocity Radio or on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Escape Velocity Radio I hate both those To listen to previous episodes and see the show notes and links to the music we play each episode visit our website at EscapeVelocityRadio.com And if you are on iTunes we would appreciate you rating and reviewing the show because it makes us feel very good about ourselves and that is the only reason that we are still alive here today Woo! Let's go, Derek! No, no, not let's go. Put the guitar down. No way, man! No, put the guitar down right now. No can not do, buddy. I'm on fire. Woo! Come on, man. This is not okay. Check this out. No, put it down. Okay, come on. That doesn't even work with the song. Totally works. Grab your drumsticks, buddy. Come on. No, I will not grab my drumsticks. This is embarrassing. You're embarrassing both of us now what that you're gonna do that that sounds awesome that doesn't work at all totally
0: works chris really we'll thank you later just stop just stop it we should do a remix with him